Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the Stratosphere Lounge. I'm your host, Bill Whittle. We are uh, trying something a little different tonight. Um, we have found out that, uh, I don't remember, I think it was Twitch doesn't like uh, streaming to two places at once. Twitch is a little jealous like that. Uh, Twitch is kind of control freak, and Twitch has uh, made it clear that it doesn't want um, doesn't want uh, the Stratosphere Lounge to be seeing anybody else while it's uh, seeing Twitch. So what it's done, I think, or what one of the software's it's done, it seems like it's been cutting off the YouTube stream. So we're doing, uh, essentially doing two separate streams uh, to both channels. One's going to um, uh, Twitch and one's going to YouTube. So we'll see how that goes. Oh, of course. Hang on. Okay, hang on. Uh, yeah, let me try that again. So um, we've got uh, two different streams going now. I, uh, for those of you watching on Twitch, the uh, mic was off on the YouTube stream. So uh, Twitch has been um, killing uh, the streams. It doesn't like uh, streaming out to two people at the same time, two different um, uh, outputs. So um, it's uh, it's going to be a, uh, an attempt to basically we're running two different uh, streams simultaneously. One's going to YouTube, one's going to uh, Twitch, and the one going to YouTube, I didn't have the mic on, but the one for Twitch I did. So it looks like we're kind of okay here, I think. Um, so, all right. Um, we're just going to see how things hang out here. Uh, I don't have... Um, a whole lot to talk about, so we'll get into the questions pretty early here. Uh, both of the um, secret mystery presents have arrived, however. So um, I expect we'll probably be doing the um, the first of the interviews either late next week or early, early next week, the week after that. But um, I think we're ready to go. So um, that's exciting. And uh, other than that, uh, I just don't think uh, anything I can really think of I was a little surprised to hear that um, that uh, Pergosian was assassinated. Wagner, Wagner Group Wagner Group leader in a plane had a little accident on it. Um, that was kind of a shock. Uh, that's um, that's uh, politics over there. Um, so uh, I just uh, don't really know what to do about that. Uh, Joshua Flores says he just saw the Cold War episode um, on YouTube. I saw that too. Thank you. Um, the uh, Daily Wire has released at least the first episode of the Cold War, and I got a chance to look at it. And um, and uh, it's not as much as a surprise as it used to be, I guess. Maybe I'm just getting used to it. But a number of people said, I really like this guy's voice. Or, you know, okay, well, that's good to hear because this is the one you got. Um, but, um, in any event, uh, aside from that, I can't think of anything really just, uh, pressing. So maybe we'll just do something that's never been done in the history of 376 episodes of the Stratosphere Lounge. And then let's just jump right into the questions. How about that for thought? Um, yeah, so everything else is moving along. I am, um, we'll talk about this on Monday, uh, on our Stratosphere Studio shows, but after much, much consideration, just as a very brief note, um, I've given a lot of thought to the to the um, idea and the format of that interview show, and and I think this idea of um, archetypes is going to be too limiting. 
I was going to make it about one specific type of character, but I realized there were some problems with that. And the more I think about it, the more I realize, uh, you know, I'm just kind of putting myself in a box. I don't really know if I want to get out of it. So I've been kicking around some ideas uh, like, um, you know, Oh, the Humanity is a show title I thought about or, or being human or making human or how to be a human or how to make a human being or something along those lines, something to do with the human condition. I'm testing a bunch of those things out. We'll see how it goes. But um, generally, I think I'm just going to, um, I think I'm just going to find a way to find some title that I like and open it up just a little bit. I'm still going to be focused. The human condition, that's one of the ones I've actually had, believe it or not. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, archetypes plus, um, but, um, I don't know what to do with it, but I'm, I'm sure we'll find a name. Uh, some, I really just want it to be about being a better person, building a better human, that kind of thing somewhere in there. I'll, um, by the time, uh, we get to Monday, I'll have a, bunch of them written down we can figure something out but i i don't want to get locked out of um you know uh interesting ideas and at the same time i do need to stay focused um this way i can talk about like for instance uh, with gary sinise i could do a whole section on ken mattingly and then you know obviously a section on lieutenant dan otherwise it's just you know just a little bit too a little bit too um, narrow. So um, we'll see. Um, go into um, BillWhittle.com here. Reflections. Ooh. Okay, Reflections. I was going to call it. first title I had for this thing was In the Moment, actually. Um, but... Um, and that's not an awful title, to be honest with you. Uh, but uh, I'm going to give it some thought. I'll write some things down, and we'll, and we'll figure it out. Um, let's see. I think I'm just going to have to face the fact that these glasses are going to be on more often. It's not so much a vanity thing as it just it's really hard to see my eyes, you know, with the, all the lights we got going here. So that's the excuse I use. Put on these four-eye weakling, weakling glasses. What you do with four eyes? Yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, no more thoughts on the, the fourth turning uh, uh, capital geek because I... Um, haven't had a chance to read any more of it. So um, we're just going to dive on in, why don't we? Let's do that. Uh, let's see. Okay, uh, so from Ian Newland, um, here's a question that hits an intersection of current news and previous topics. Vivek is tossing out a plethora of ideas and running circles around the establishment. I'm curious of what you think of his plan for the Ukraine. He wants to pull a reverse Nixon, cut a deal with Russia to end Ukraine relatively favorably towards Russia, but in exchange, they have to end their alliance with China. As he says, it's not about trusting Putin, but about trusting Putin to act in his own self-interest. 
and Putin trusting us to act in our self-interest in China is much more significant threat than Russia. Um, when the Cold War ended, we made a guarantee for Ukraine's security in exchange for them surrendering their nuclear weapons. And I'm just a little bit old-fashioned like that in terms of thinking you should believe you should keep your promises. Uh, I, I, I just... I just, I just don't know what to say about that. I just really don't know what else to say about it. And, um, and I don't want to get into this whole thing again. To me, it's just a question of, of naked aggression, and, uh, and I don't care if it's naked aggression against North Korea or against Iran. Whatever it is, it's got to stop. Um, and I'm, not, I'm just not going to talk about this anymore because, frankly, the more I hear about things like this, the United States is going to cut a deal favorable to Russia as long as Russia – says um adios to china we and how are we going to how are we going to enforce that and and how are we going to uh, verify it and what makes us think that we would that we if we brokered a deal like that that putin would what what possible incentive does he to, i mean there's just so much wrong with that idea i don't even know where to start I just don't know where to start, but I will tell you one thing. I'll tell you what my gut reaction to this is. I watched the um, the uh, England and France sell out Czechoslovakia, and I watched them sell out uh, the Sudeten Germans before Czechoslovakia, and I watched them sell out everybody, and we damn near sold out the Poles too. So I'm just tired of selling people out uh, in order to make our life um, less worrisome. I just that's just all there is to it. I'm just not gonna. I'm not going any further into it. I'm just done with this idea that um, that we're going to, you know, that Vladimir Putin has anything coming to him other than uh, I'm just done talking about it. I, I, when I hear things like this, it just makes me a little, honestly, quite not a little crazy, a little bit crazy. Let me just read this again. Cut a deal with Russia to end Ukraine relatively favorably towards Russia. In other words, let's reward that invasion and exchange – they have to end their alliances with China. They don't have written alliances with China. They don't have they don't have documents that they can tear up in front of the eyes of the world. They don't have uh, they don't have mutual security agreements. They don't have they don't have mutual operations. They don't do joint exercises. This is simply a a a, a, a you, now you promise now you promise you'll keep your word this time, Vlad. You promise? Screw that. That's just insane. Insane. And that's that's the dumbest thing I've heard this guy say, if he's really serious about that. Um, also, for me, Nolan, if you had any reactions to the debate, if I watched it, I didn't watch it. I had no interest in seeing it at all, none. Um, Eric Blake, uh, one of the more common talking points on our side is about Biden is that he's too old, pointing to his bumbling and seeming dementia. It's not seeming, it is. I've seen dementia up close, and I've seen that look, that just that look. And, and and how he constantly has to find his way off the stage. And I'll tell you one thing about this. Of all the things that 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 just that should really shock people, is not it's not just that he doesn't know where he is, what he's saying, what he's doing, he can't walk, he can't move, he can't find his way off of a stage. He said it again and again and again. He says it practically every time he opens his mouth. And that is but but you know but 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 you know I I just um, I just went off the script and I'm going to get in trouble. How many times has he said? Has the president of the United States said, oh, "If I keep talking, I'm going to get in trouble." In trouble with who? 
Who the hell are you in trouble with, Joe? The president of the United States of America. You're not in trouble with anybody. I'm gonna. I better. I better just get back on the teleprompter, or else I'm gonna get in trouble. Really? Is Jill gonna yell at you? She gonna take away your ice cream cone? Is that what's gonna happen? For the love of God, I'm, I, I can't. I'm gonna get in trouble. Your job is not to get in trouble. You're the president of the United States. Your job is to make life easier for some people and make it make trouble for people who are not so good. And. And to hear him talking like he's a six-year-old, is somebody's going to get him out. He's going to get yelled at or, or maybe it's because something's going to go on his permanent record. Uh, I, I'm, I'm in trouble. I don't know. I just, I just think of, I, don't know. I don't know. I just don't want to be in trouble. So I'm going to get in trouble. Just go away. Go away, you old lying, corrupt, cheating traitor. Get off the stage. Go and take your vice president with you. But as many have pointed out, that's far from synonymous with the specific age. How old is Bernie Sanders? He's many things, raging socialists aside, but who, but he knows where to walk. Or how about Paul McCartney or Mick Jagger? See, I think we need to be very careful about this. It's easy psyop for the left to get us going on and on about Biden's age and then have them turn the issue on Trump. But never mind, he's clearly not a dementia case. It's not about his age. It's about his mental competence, period. It's got nothing to do with his age. Well, obviously, it's got something to do with his age. It correlates with age. But as you say, everybody ages differently. And when it comes to things like Alzheimer's, not everybody contracts Alzheimer's. It, it just doesn't. My mom and my uncle are one year, were one year apart. My uncle died a few months ago. Uh, both at about ni- 90 or 91. My, my uncle is a year younger than my mom lived about a year longer. Um, my uncle Ted who's as genetically close to my mom as can be. They are brother and sister, same parents. My Uncle Ted was giving engineering lectures on gas turbine engines until the day he died. From memory, he had something like 6,000 slides with uh, turbine inlet temperatures, RPMs, exhaust gas temperatures, the, uh, the design of the fuel systems. He had all of this stuff down, and he was sharp as a tack till the day he died. My mom, on the other hand, 15 years before she died, started, couldn't tell you what, you know, what day of the week it was. Just keep asking the same question again and again and again. And that was the Alzheimer's. And then the dementia kicks in and it's the Alzheimer's is annoying and heartbreaking, but the dementia cuts your heart out. And that meanness, that mean spiritedness is there too. The president of the United States was asked a question by a citizen and he asked him if he wanted to step outside. You want to fight about it? Actually, you know what, Mr. President? I think I do. I think I do. If you're calling me out, Joe, let's go. You know, big man, you're going gonna, to you're gonna show me what you did to Corn Pop? Let's go. You want to step outside, Mr. President? You're challenging me to step outside? I accept the challenge. Let's go. Miserable, rotten, no good for nothing, corrupt, horrible man. Horrible, horrible man, a liar and a and a and a plagiarist from the day he was born. He was the stupidest guy in the Senate before he developed Alzheimer's, and he is a terrible, terrible, terrible person. I don't feel sorry for him because he's not a good man. If he was a good man, I'd feel sorry for him. So as an example, just so you know that not all people are built the same way, something maybe we'll talk about on the interview show. We did have a president who began to develop some memory problems, probably noticeable in the last few years of his second term. But Ronald Reagan 
developed Alzheimer's. And Ronald Reagan, instead of getting mean with everybody, wrote a letter to the American people thanking them for all of the privileges that they'd given him and for being part of this great country. And he said, thank you. He said, goodbye. I'm, I'm writing this letter now while I still can because I'm informed that there will not be much longer before I'm really not able to compose a letter like this. So thank you very much. That's what good people do. That's what good people do. They, they, they just bow out and they go and they ride off into the sunset and other people don't. And one of the things in, strangely enough, in, uh, in the Cimmerillion and the uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's enormous piece makes dwarfs Lord of the Rings. It, it, it dwarfs Lord of the Rings the way Lord of the Rings dwarfs the Hobbit. One of the things that he, that he made a point of saying was that during this golden age of mankind and in the second age on the island of Numenor, the Numenorean kings, uh, um, Aragorn is a direct descendant of them, lived long, long lives. But one of the things he said marked the beginning of the decline of Numenor was when the kings no longer left office while they were still cogent. That that after several generations of kings realizing I've, I've done a good job, I can feel myself slowing down, I can feel myself fossilizing, it's time for me to, to sit out and let my son take over. And then as the morals of Numenor fell apart, that inability to let go of power was one of the first things that showed up. I found that to be a remarkable insight on the part of uh, Tolkien as, as, as usual. Um, Cody Fett for $5. Out of curiosity, Bill, how much do these super chats help financially? They help quite a bit. Thank you. Uh, every little bit helps. So it's just it's just really great, and we're very grateful for you for all of these things. Um, so it's not about the age. It's about the, the, um, the mental uh, ability. And look, if you are going to – I've said this so many times, just needs to keep being said – in order to fly an aircraft that has 30 passengers on board, paying passengers, you have to have a physical exam twice a year. You have to go into a simulator and pass a rigorous test. I think it's once a year. And essentially during that physical, you're going to get, you're going to get tested. You're constantly tested and your mental acuity is tested because if you start finding out that you can't fly an instrument rating, your co-pilot will know about it. And then you can either report yourself and, and, and absent yourself or you can be reported, but Nobody's going to allow a captain like that to fly, nor should they. The mandatory retirement age for pilots is 65. I think that's far too young. Far too young. In fact, I don't think there should be a minimum retirement age. I think there should be a health standard, a health and mental standard. But my point is, if an airline captain has to certify every six months, I don't think it's too much to ask the president of the United States to have to certify every six months. Just that simple. I don't care if you're 30 years old. I don't care if you're 70 years old or 80 or 90. Every six months, you have to have a physical, and you also have to have a simple cognition and memory test. We're not going to test you on your politics. That's what elections are all about. But if you can't function, if you can't remember what day it is, at the, in, a, in a responsible republic, this is what we would be doing. And when we started to see signs that somebody was starting to slip, we'd start paying extra attention. And if it turned out that that slippage was real, not just having a bad day, then you would think in a responsible republic of decent people that the person in question would recognize the threat to himself and the country and step aside. But those days are long gone. Um, so 
in any event, uh, it's just it's just really, really sad. Uh, hey, Bill, they found a video of you landing a 737 in a simulator and put it on the Stratosphere Lounge uh, on Facebook. I don't remember doing that. There's a cognition test I've just failed. A 737, why did I fly a 737 simulator? Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I think that I think I do remember that. That was down in um, Orange County, I want to say. Um, so uh, back to the end of this question here. In the end, we need to be a lot more nuanced about this. This is not Biden's age. The issue is senility and dementia, and that's just age is just a number. Biden was an idiot from the very beginning. Let's see. Well, I just said what I just said, um, and I don't think it's. I don't think you should be saying gee, you're old enough so that we should start administering this test. That test should just be part of the office. If you don't like it, don't run for president. You know, if you don't think that you should be held accountable for fun functional capacity, you know, just minimal functional capacity, like finding your way off of a stage or, you know, up a flight of stairs or walking across the White House yard. You ever see him walk, walk out to the helicopter? He takes those little shuffling steps, never lifts his feet more than, you know, an inch off the ground, he just kind of skates along. The guy's a the guy is a um, he's a he's an animatronic, and the question that people should be asking is, who is who is yelling at this old man for screwing things up? Who's the real president of the United States? I got a good guess, frankly, and that person would be, of course, Doctor Jill Biden, that that great intellect of our time. That's who I think, uh, under consultation with other people who I don't think have our country's best interests in mind, but I know for a certain fact that Joe Biden doesn't because he's taken tens of millions of dollars of bribes from people who are not our friends in order to sell out our country for money. And for that, I think the uh, appropriate um, penalty is pretty well laid out, and I don't think there's any question about it. Moving on uh, from Roadrider, uh, Q1, Q2 through Q Q3, why not? Mm -hmm. Number one, Bill, how's it going? It's going okay. Thank you for asking. Number two, how's the weather in San Fernando Valley? Bacon like an oven. This has been the mildest summer that we've had. California weather is always the inverse of everything else. When it's raining all across the country, it's we're having a drought. When when um, when we're when it's raining here, it's dry across the country. When they're having a very very hot summer, we have a cool one. Clearly. Something's going on for us this summer, this year in California. We had a really wet winter. We had a hurricane in the middle of uh, summer, which uh, was a tropical storm by the time it got to us. But I, I told Natasha I've never heard of such a thing. It turns out it hasn't been one for 84 years. Uh, and this is by far, by far the mildest summer we've ever had. It's broken 100 degrees probably, I don't know, 10 or 11 times maybe. And and that to 102, 103, usually it's months of 100 plus, often getting into the triple digits, you know, 110, 111, 112. So it's been the it's been the mildest summer we've had. Plus it rained, which is you know, call home and and uh, you know tell your mom. Uh, so it's been an El Nino year. Is if everybody used a dark font on this, I'd be fine, but these late ones. Capital Geek, it's an El Nino year. Yes, yes, it is an El Nino year. Um, 
when I was uh, looking at um, Harrison Schmidt as a person, I'm, I haven't I've decided not to contact anybody else until I get some of these in the can. Uh, but I'd like to talk to Dr. Schmidt about walking on the moon. And he raised uh, quite a stir when he had the audacity to say that based on the data, it doesn't look like the Earth is dying after all. Um, he got, he said, as I'm just speaking as a geologist and somebody else on the panel, some left-wing nut job said, well, you're not speaking for all geologists, you know. You're certainly not speaking for me. He said, I didn't say I was speaking for you. I'm just telling you what I saw based on the data. Calm down. Don't be so defensive. Um, super chat there from Cody Fett again. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed. Oh, for the love of God, I'm just going to have to keep these on. Um, Idengirk. So what's the matter? He's not in charge anyway. Yeah, exactly. He's not. Uh, but makes you kind of curious about who is, doesn't it? Just as a general question of curiosity. And then um, Cody Fett says, at the end of the autobiography, General Sherman noted how much he appreciated the new mandatory retirement age because people don't know when their own mind starts to slip or how long they'll live. Yes, and it's very difficult to tell somebody who's your superior um, that their mind is going, uh, especially when that person doesn't have a superior. Um, but that would be... That would be the job of any honest employee. If somebody if somebody appointed me Secretary of Defense and I thought that this person, after repeated contact with them, was losing their, their faculties, I think I would say, Mr. President, I'm deeply concerned. I've seen a lot of signs that you're losing your mental acuity. Think of the interest of the nation. You should take a cognition test. And if you'd like me to take one right with you, I'm happy to do that too. It should be a requirement. It should be part of the job. And um, and I don't know why it's not. Well, I do, but um, you know these these problems that we have. All of these problems can be solved in an afternoon with with just a stroke of competence. Just just ten people, three people that knew what they were doing, we'd be out of the woods in in a month. In a month, that's all it would take. You know which is why you certainly can't have that kind of thing happening. We, we, don't, we don't have a single problem that's not self-inflicted, which is good news and bad news. Um, Charles Tomes. I'm sorry, I missed something. Um, question three. <laughs> Can you share with us your life hack for the stamina you have? I, 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 don't, I wish somebody would stamina me hard. Uh, archetypes, Last Man on the Moon, all the existing Bull Widow shows, stress for lounges, animations, and all of that writing and research for Daily Wire, on-camera performances, editing, public speaking, oh, and running a company. What are you taking, eating, or doing to pull this off? It's actually an honest and serious question. Um, well, Roadrunner, I think um, I think the answer to this is not a nutritional supplement. It's just a... It's just a um, It's an overactive psychological spur. When you when you list those things, I just say to myself, "Yeah, but I'm none of these things are moving as fast as they should be." And and what and when I find myself, I think Natasha and I went to the um, to the beach last Saturday, and I think that was the first day I haven't come into the studio since I went on that uh, trip to um, Florida two and a half three months ago. I mean. I think that's the first day I didn't come in and do something. I have all of those things to do and more, and um, and there's just not enough time in the day. And I and I 
I go home every day thinking, you know, um, I usually leave around. I usually get in. I like to get in early. I don't get in early as much as I would like. I'm often in around nine or 10. I, I like it when I can get in around seven or eight, but lately I haven't been going home before 10 or 11. And, um, and I love the stuff I'm doing. So it's not like, it's not like I'm being whipped to stay here. I just wish I could get more done. Uh, I was taking, uh, my friend Phil and Bobby had given us a, a bunch of supplements, ate them all up. They were great, made a big difference. And then we ran out of them and I haven't reordered them. I, Natasha and I were talking about reordering last night and I didn't do it today because I forgot. But those things actually help quite a lot. And, um, and I don't know, part of it is maybe my imagination. Part of it may be just part of getting older and nothing related to it but I still seem to be considerably lower energy and considerably um, uh, I'm having, I'm having more brain fog than, uh, than I did before uh, the COVID thing. Um, it's not as chronic as it was. I mean, months after that, I was just like, I trying to get groceries in the house. I just had to stop breathing on the way. Uh, so, um, I uh, I do worry about that sometimes. I'm perpetually dehydrated. That's not good. And when I went and got the IV thing, you know, we did the, it's, it's LA, so you go down to your IV boutique and you choose from the menu all the little supplements you want and all the rest of it. So I think I got I think I got three uh, three bags of uh, IV. That's a significant amount of fluid. Um, plus a bunch of vitamins and stuff. And, uh, and when I got home, I was just so filled with energy. And then I was lying in bed trying to get to sleep. And after that, um, after that IV treatment, I remember thinking, I can remember everything, you know? Okay, Bill, name the people that were in F Troop. Name the cast. And I was like, uh, 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 uh Larry, um, Storch, uh, uh, but I was getting all the answers right. And all these other things that I'm usually just scratching for, like, oh, what's this name? What's it? I couldn't stump myself. Couldn't. And and I was real impressed. And I would be doing that um, a lot, except for the fact that while I was there, I did something, well, I don't know, it would have been probably nice if they'd warned me a little bit, but I'm not the kind of guy that, you know, is real litigious or anything. Went to this IV place, Natasha and I, and we got, I, mostly I needed fluids and got some vitamins. But the thing I asked for, just because I was curious, was they, um, they, uh, they take blood out and then they oxygenate it and they put it back in. They oxygenate it with ozone. So they got a IV bag full of your blood coming out of a, a vein. It's dark brown. It's brackly colored chocolate syrup. And then they have uh, some kind of feed in there or something. And they pump some ozone in there, and then they shake the bag, and it goes from chocolate brown to bright red. Bright red. And they just keep doing it. Ken Berry. Yes, and I forget who played. Was it Forrest something who played the, um, the other guy? Um, and, um, and then they pump this oxygenated blood back in. And man alive. That was tremendous for Forrest Tucker. So still got a couple of cells left. Um, so 
was great. But after taking in three or four bags of liquid, I decided I had to go up and use the bathroom. And it was just down the hall, and they had the IVs on a little, you know, the little trolley thing. So instead of uh, unplugging me and plugging me back in, because I still had some more stuff to do, I just said, no problem. I just wheel it down the hall. So I wheel this IV thing down the hall. It's still in my arm. It's all taped up. Everything's great. I get in the bathroom, close the door. I'm trying to turn around, you know, and get everything in shape and do all the things I need to do. And I'm moving around so much. And and uh, I sit down and I look and I see that the um, IV line has gone red, you know. I was jostling my arm around so much with the needle in it. That's not so good. Um, I don't know, four or five days after that, it started to feel like a kind of a, just a general sort of a, not even an ache, just a, a just a throbbing, really diffuse kind of a discomfort, almost a pain in my lower arm downstream of that, um, that thing. And I didn't start this way, but over the course of my life, I've gotten to the point where if I realize I've got a medical problem, I go at it right away because to me, the, the, the only thing I couldn't deal with is, you know, knowing I had a problem, not doing anything about it, and then finding out, yeah, well, if you'd come to us, you know, when you first heard about it, we could have done something. So I went down because I was a little worried about uh, thrombosis, you know, blood clots and that kind of thing. Um, I... Uh, Went down to the doctor and he took a look at it and he said, you know, we should probably be sure about this. And sent me across the street. They did an ultrasound. And turns out, yes, there were uh there was a blood clot in there, but it wasn't um wasn't anywhere near the vein. It was uh it was not in any danger. So just basically left it alone. And I said, So what's gonna happen? And I said, well, you know, eventually break up. And that's made me a little gun shy about going back, but um but I should I'd like to. I just Every time I think about doing that again, every now and then I get a, a like a unfocused pain in the general vicinity of that joint, and I don't know if that's um, a residue from that or whether it's beginning of arthritis or something. I don't know, arthritis. But man alive, uh, I'll tell you what that thing was. Um, that was really, really good, and uh, you know I'm sure if I'd gone. 10 years earlier, 15, 20 years earlier, I'd be passing Michael Jackson every time you know, on the door and the way out on the way out. Uh, I don't know how many Hollywood people actually do these kind of things. I suspect the sane ones don't really do too much of it, but uh, I sure did feel better after that. And I think, I think most of that, most of it was, um, was just the dehydration and, uh, 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 Tap says, uh, you know, you could just drink water, Bill. It's like, that's a good idea. Lapco92 for Super Chat says, uh, whatever you do, Bill, remember, keep looking up. Jack's been gone 13 years this month. Where does time go? 13 years this month, good Lord. Um, we played it a couple months ago. I should make a special event of it. Um, we were talking about that and we did the show where Phil was here. That was great. And, uh, the subject of Horkheimer and the Apollo program came up a couple months ago. I think it was Marusha found a link to somebody who had posted the, uh, my favorite show of Jackson. It's a toss up between uh, long journey of young God and child of the universe, but long journey is my favorite. And we 
and Marisha pointed me to an online version of the soundtrack, and it was in pretty bad shape. I got it into Adobe Audition, and, and I'm not by any means an audio guy. I just threw some filters on it and played with it and played with it. I got it to the point where it's pretty intelligible. I think I ran the first 10 or 15 minutes of it on a stretch for lounge five, six shows ago. But I really would like to just sit and play it and and watch it and listen, well, listen to it. Listen to it with you guys doing the commentary live, you know, in terms of what you're thinking. Because that was just such a such an education for me. Not just in terms of what I learned, but in terms of uh, how I learned it. I was thinking about this in terms of the interview show. You know, uh, I was trying to think about what, like what's the how far back can I kind of trace all this stuff? And what is it that I'm actually talking about? You know, it's like I didn't take an interest in history till I was in my 20s or 30s. And, you know, I, I knew I've been super interested in space and aviation since I've been old enough to watch an airplane fly. I was six or seven. And I was just trying to put my finger on what it was exactly, maybe because I was thinking about archetypes. And I realized the one thing I guess that's consistent through my life is is that I've always been a good storyteller. I remember we did a trip to uh, the United States from Bermuda, and I came back and I wrote about it, and they put it in the school newspaper, which is not a big deal, school school newspaper, but I'm pretty sure I was in second grade at the time or something. Um, and um, it's a strange thing to to, it's not what I would have, even today it kind of surprises me that that's probably my primary skill, you know. Um, uh, Phil says long journey made us think about the need for an American myth. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. You need, um, you need mythology. Everybody needs mythology, which is why uh, our mythology is being systematically dismantled. Um, you know, if you've seen, um, what's that? if I, if I get a chance to talk to Bill Mooney from Lost in Space, I'll, I'll just tell him the same thing. It's like, They've done a movie of Lost in Space, and I think they've done two TV shows or reboots. They keep constantly bringing it back because they got nothing else to. They, 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 the idea of doing an original show is so far beyond them that they just have nothing left to do but to suck the last of the juices out of these husks from the '60s and '70s. But as far as I'm concerned, and I think most people feel this way, there is one Will Robinson. That's Bill Movies. That's Will Robinson. Everybody else is just is just a, a leech. And so this new Mr. Spock on Strange New Worlds is the dorkiest looking guy. He is he's just the most he he looks like he looks like a guy in the next cubicle at your you know if you're working for an insurance company. He's just so bland. Look at you look at Leonard, the reason Leonard Nimoy was cast was because he doesn't look human. Nimoy, you look at Nimoy standing next to Kirk and McCoy and all the rest of them. You don't need the green makeup and you don't need the pointy ears. Nimoy looks like he's from another planet. He's a strange, strange-looking guy, and that's why he works. and And now Spock is just this. And every, I, I oh, by the way. Um, you can only imagine my thrill when I found out that there is a um, a, a musical episode of uh, Strange New Worlds coming because that's the one thing you need more than anything on Star Trek 
is for every member of the cast to break into song and and um, and and seriously, that's what I've heard that they're they're seriously going to do a musical episode. So that's that's Captain Kirk, uh, kind of guy who just walks down the walks down the halls, just breaks into song, and everybody's real meta, and they say things like "science is cool" and "you got this," and you know, um, just these. I've I've seen little clips of Strange New Worlds, and I cannot tell anybody on the crew apart from anybody else. I know who Pike is, I know who Number One is, and I know who Spock is. Pike is interesting, and Number One is interesting. Spock's a joke, and and the other people on the bridge are completely, absolutely indistinguishable for me. They're all nothing burgers. Um, so. Yeah. David Booty says, have you heard Shatner's Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds? I've not only heard it, I've seen it. The video for Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, as read by William Shatner, is the most disturbing thing I think I've ever seen on the internet. It's really good in terms of well-produced, but it's just, it's surreal. It's just really nightmare fuel. It's just the stars turn into Shatner's face and... Ugh. But... um yeah, our mythology is just, you know, it's just being degraded or destroyed or or, or canceled or, or mutated. 50 years from now, 50 years from now, if things don't change, and they will change, but if they didn't, and, and maybe sooner than this, 50 years from now, we'd be hearing the story of Nell Armstrong, first woman on the moon, uh, black American, descended directly from slaves, um, you know, uh, and comes back to the uh, to the loving arms of, of her wife, and that's how the story will be told. If nothing changes, but it will, because that's not true, and you can only fight the truth for so long. Uh, moving on to Charles Tomes here. Let me just have a quick scan down here. I don't actually get to Facebook. Who knows? I'll tell you one thing. If I get these questions and Facebook done, then we're going on. Um, Charles Tomes. CP Tomes, if you prefer, from an undisclosed location in what remains of American flyover country. That's virtually all of America. Uh, Darth Chuck, the merciless, screams into the darkness. With today's posting of yet another AFT rules definition, Sniff's going for the three-peat of AFT rules being struck down as unconstitutional overreach into our God-given rights. The previous administration was responsible for the bump stock overreach, which got struck down. Can we get another number one with a bullet with current statistics? Um, yes. I, I mean, technically, yes. Realistically, no. The statistics are not the part of uh, number one with a bullet that's important. I don't think that the statistics have changed very much, to be honest with you. The point of number one with a bullet was very simple, and the idea for it was very simple. It was, I wrote it immediately after one of these shootings which has been caused by fatherless boys and 24-hour and, and news cycle and suicide by cop that gets you on every TV set in the entire world. And I just remember thinking, these people think that since we have the most guns in the, in the world, we must be the most deadly country in the world in terms of murder. I wonder what we are in terms of murder. And to be honest with you, I thought we'd be in the top 10. We weren't in the top we weren't in the top half. 
And when I found out how low America was in the per capita murder rate compared to the fact that we have twice as many guns per capita as the next closest, which I want to say is Honduras, we were 111th at the time. Um, I was really shocked and impressed, and I realized, oh, okay, that's great. And the way to, the way to really hit this home is to say we weren't even in the top 10 or the top 20. And I just stretched that out, just like, or the top 50. The top 100 and just keep pounding them um, and then I found out that because in order to do that research I had to get the per capita murder rates all around the world when I found out what the per capita murder rate of Yano, Texas was I realized Yano, Texas is less gun violence in Yano, Texas than there is in Belgium or Switzerland certainly less than in France or Great Britain or any of the other places where our moral superiors like to lecture us uh, America is a remarkably safe country if you stay away from areas that are controlled by Democrats for 80 years. And um, these shootings have such an effect on us because it's that kind of daily violence that these Democrats have allowed to happen in their cities leaking, leaking out into, you know, leaking out of the boundaries. Uh, it's not inner city people that are doing the shooting. It's it's people who've been also victimized by progressive politics. You take away the fathers from uh, inner cities and you get nothing but murder. You take away the fathers from the suburbs and you get one or two murderers. And, um, and it's so obvious and there's so many, so many data points to, to prove the point New York. You could say that, no, that the problems with... Um, Big cities are inherent in big cities, got nothing to do with the governance. And I would say it doesn't seem likely, but you could at least make the case. And then, unfortunately for them, along comes New York City, which was murder capital of the world, number one murder homicide rate in the country. By far, nothing could be done about it. It's absolutely uncontrollable. It's just the way it is, blah, blah, blah. Elect a Republican, and then it's not even in the top 20. Um, it just wasn't on the list. It was gone. New York City was gone. Back, though, back with the vengeance. Because uh, after, you know, I don't know how many years of a real Republican, and then something like 12 years of a pseudo-Republican, and then five or six years or whatever it was of an actual, honest-to-God communist, and now you've got the descendant of, of a communist. And, and guess what? You throw away the law enforcement and the rules, and the crime comes back. It's an utter frickin' mystery. No one can figure it out. No one's smart enough uh, to figure it out. So there you go. Um, but I like number one with a bullet very much because I surprised myself. The, the, the data surprised me, I should say. I was a slam dunk once I had that data. Then it was just a question of, of teeing it up. But um, uh, honestly, Charles, I don't, I don't need to go back and do those things because the point wasn't the numbers. The point was if they're right, if the number if guns cause violence, then the country with the most guns should have the most gun violence. But it ain't so. It's not even close. Not even close. Which means they're wrong. And the fact that guns used to be everywhere, including hardware stores, you walk into a Sears, you come out with as many shotguns and rifles as you wanted to, as much ammunition as you could carry, no background checks. It's not even that. It's playing with guns. This I'm willing to grant them 
that you could see how playing with guns would lead to more gun violence. You can at least see how that might be the case. But then all you have to do is just look and say, well, everybody had cap guns. Everybody was shooting everybody. Bang, 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 bang. And nobody's really shooting people because we're all playing with guns and we're not, we're not turning them into a totem. They're not some kind of magical force. I've seen people and heard of people as well who've said things like, I will not go into a house if there's a gun there. Really? Nope. You're just going to leap off the table, is it? Or, or find a way to crack itself out of the safe or something? I just won't do it. Okay. That's irrational. Um, but that's who you are, so you knock yourself out, you do you, and, and I'll do a sane person. Uh, Jacob Belchek. Hi, Bill. What's the emotional most, what is the emotion most corrosive to the human soul? What is the emotion most uplifting to the human soul? That's a superb question. Uh, usually your first response, one's first response on this is the best one, so I'll go with my first response. I think the most corrosive emotion to the human soul is envy. I think envy can be found at the foot of virtually all of the problems we have. Oh, and people are coming up with envy, but I didn't see them before I said it. So we all basically said it together. Envy. Um, envy demonizes people who have no business being demonized. Envy demonizes and penalizes the people that do the most to make everybody's life better. But the real problem with envy is what it does to the person who's being envious. It, it not only poisons them and makes them filled with hate and anger and resentment, but more than anything in the world, the single greatest problem with envy is envy, pre envy prevents you from achieving things. If you are filled with envy, you will never get anything done. You're too busy hating people that did get something done. And, um, and so it's much easier to um, look at a guy who's got a ton of money and say he doesn't deserve that and we should take it from him than it is to sit down and think about what he did to get that money or what his father or grandfather did. And that is essentially the same thing, by the way. I'm not saying they're the same people. Usually the, 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 the children of really rich individuals are not so good and the grandchildren are terrible. Um, but somebody earned that money. Nobody, nobody ever put a gun to anybody's head and made themselves rich. The people who are rich are rich because they created something that other people wanted and they were ready to exchange money for it voluntarily. It's only the government that can put gun to your head and take your money from you. So um, envy is, is the soul destroyer. It makes you powerless. It makes you feel like you're not in charge of your own destiny. It makes you angry. It makes you violent. It makes you possessive and it makes you just small it makes you into a a whiny sniveling little bitch honestly it's just such a pathetic emotion i've i've never experienced it unfortunately to say i don't know why um i guess maybe i was just raised well enough in that regard anyway but i've never ever looked at anybody who had nicer stuff than me. And there's a lot of people who have nicer stuff than me. I also realize there's many, 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 many more, many more times people who have stuff that's not as nice as mine. But, um, but envy just cripples you and destroys you. You just sit there and bitch. That classic Russian story about the 
the peasants live across the way in this dirt poor village and one of them prays and prays and prays for a cow and he gets the cow and then he starts being able to you know, plow a bigger field and milk is available for everybody. He's able to grow more crops. Everybody in the village is getting more and more prosperous and the guy across the street starts praying too and he prays that, some, that God will kill his cow. Not that he gets his own cow because if he got his own cow, that would require work. That That is the most Russian... Let me rephrase that. It's the most collectivist, socialist parable of all time. Two peasants, one of them praying for a cow. He gets the cow and gets nothing but prosperity. He works harder, makes more money, produces more goods. Everybody lives better. The other guy praying that that guy's cow will die because he doesn't want to go to the trouble of working harder and... He's not content to just sit there and kind of slack around. I have no problem with that, generally speaking. He's He can't stand the fact that that guy's getting rich, even though he can see him working harder every day. Looks out his window every day. Every time he wakes up, that guy's already out there. Every time he goes to bed, that guy's still out there. Nope, not good enough. I want that cow dead. And, um, and that's terrible. Uh, the most uplifting... I would say is um, probably gratitude, I think. Um, it's very difficult to be, well, as they used to say in NA, Narcotics Anonymous, meaning you can't be grateful and unhappy at the same time. Uh, and, um, and that's the truth. Uh, there was, uh, I've told this story before, but it's been a while. So I was in Narcotics Anonymous for about a year and a half, I guess. I genuinely think, having gotten to know those people very well, I genuinely think, and it took them a long time to believe me when I told them this, that I was the only person in the Narcotics Anonymous group that we were in that did not have a problem with drugs or alcohol. I think I was the only one. Um, but I had, the, I, had a, I had an addictive personality the same as they did. And I suppose you never really get over that, but you can certainly make an improvement. Um, what I found was I had the same behaviors as those people. I just had gotten the idea of drinking and, and drugs so hammered into my head that it was going to be the end of me that it just, I just didn't do it. Um, I never did it. I don't, I have never bought, I've never bought. Yeah, I think that's right. I've never gone out and bought alcohol for myself at home. I've gone out plenty of times, plenty of times and had uh, a drink or two or three. Um, we went out to the beach last weekend and at Paradise Cove, which is right on the water. They have this kind of kind of a rum coconut milkshake kind of thing. That's damn delicious. Had one of those. So I've got nothing against drinking, and I, one of those people, just don't have a problem with it. Same thing for the drugs. So what was I doing in Narcotics Anonymous for 18 months? Well, I was surrounded by, I was told to go, I had a therapist who was trying to get me out of this horrific problem I was in. Uh, parenthetically, a few days ago, I had a really nice experience. Um, my brother, Evan, got himself into some... He didn't get himself into trouble. The, the world just kind of caved in around him. And he was uh, was a fairly high-level executive and moved in the, like, the top circles in St. Petersburg, Florida, Tampa, St. Pete. And a combination of things just knocked him on his ass, including, you know, uh, long-term fatal illnesses in his family and just just horrible. 
and uh, and he found himself driving an Uber, which is a, it's a long way to go from being, you know, kind of a top executive. But he just handled himself like such a man, and you know, uh, I was able to give him whatever help I could give him, and um, and so did my other brother and and my sister, and he's done it for me, and we do it for each other. That's what families are. And then probably four or five nights ago, by the, I don't think this has happened before, he sent out this lovely text thanking us and how, you know, and how much he loved his family and how, how grateful he was to all of us. And for some reason, just by random chance, I guess, the three of us were all on our phones at the same time. So here we are finding ourselves having ourselves a little conversation for the first time in 30 years or something, 20 Obviously, I've talked to each one of them since then, and often you'll get two out of three, but three out of three. And it was really, really nice. It was really fun. And um, my sister pitched in a couple pictures taken from back in the day. That would have been probably around 81, 82. There's a picture of me from um, an event that was held at my Uncle Jack's. It was a great Gatsby party. He's already got kind of dressed up. Big old family reunion around 81 or 82. And that was about the low point in my life. And I'm in that picture, and I would show it to you, but I'm just not going to do it. Uh, I talked a couple times about how um, I was really at my most miserable, just really hungry and you know, no money at, at college and all the rest of it. I'm 6'1", I was 119 pounds, that's pretty light. And then I saw a picture of me at 119 pounds, and I nearly fainted. I couldn't believe it. It's terrifying. It's really, really, really scary. My legs look like sticks inside these pants, and and these thin, thin pants are hanging on me like bags. I couldn't believe it. I hadn't seen that picture in 25 years, and and it was much, much worse than I remember it being. Much worse. So, um, he, he was talking about how grateful he was for his family. I went to these narcotic anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous meetings, and that was one of the many things that they taught. It was that um, you can't be grateful and unhappy at the same time. I uh, remember one night, I was, this got a lot of attention from the crowd of people who were Grateful recovering drug addicts and alcoholics. Uh, I worked in a nightclub, which was not done. But like I said, that wasn't my problem. So I was working uh, at a nightclub on Dixie Highway. Uh, it's about 85, I guess. 85, 86, 87. It's a nightclub on Miami Beach. I was working the lasers there. I got hired to do the nightclub stuff because I was working with the laser company at the Miami Planetarium doing laser shows. I wasn't doing the laser, but I got to know the laser guys. They said, hey, do you want to work in a nightclub? I said, yes. I took this job on Miami Beach for a year. Then they opened a new club in uh, Coral Gables, 84, 85, 85, I think, called Parallel Bar. It was a gym during the daytime, and at nighttime it was a, um, it was a nightclub, a really cool nightclub. In Miami in the mid-'80s, 85, 86, 87, that was the center of the universe. Everybody was in Miami. That was the night scene. Everybody was there. Uh, at Parallel Bar, we'd open the doors at 10. There'd, by 11.30, a 
coming up on 12. We had two entrances and there were lines that went down the stairs and around the block in both directions to get into that place. And uh, it was really cool. That's where I lost most of my hearing, but I had a lot of fun there. Anyway, uh, I was in pretty sorry state. And uh, the, one of the fundamental um, kingpins of the 12-step program is the idea of a sponsor, somebody who's um, been in the program longer than you. Uh, you get to pick your sponsor. He doesn't necessarily say he's going to agree, he or she, but nevertheless, um, the idea is that you go to enough meetings and after a while you listen to or talk to somebody who you think's got their act together, relatively speaking. So I had a sponsor uh, named Kevin, and I was on my way to work one night, and I was all riled about all kinds of things, you know, just boiling. It's like, oh, I've just, you know, just as somebody once described me like a downed power line. That's actually a pretty good description. I was just like this electric power, just sparking around everywhere, just absolutely, completely out of control emotionally and furious and, you know. Anyway, so this guy also had been working as a stockbroker in New York City who's making half a million dollars a year, three quarters of a million in the mid to late 70s. And uh, he basically pissed all that away, he lost his family and he lost his money and he lost his car and he lost his job and he lost everything. And he finds himself here and, and he's working at a gas station. He's a gas station attendant uh, on Dixie Highway down there by uh, Dadeland. And um, what was that station? I've almost got it in. 76 station, I think. Anyway, I'm on my way to work because my work started at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night and would end, close the club at about 5 in the morning. More often than not, we'd go to an after-hours club, so I'd get home around 10 or 11 in the morning. Uh, and I went to talk to him, and uh, we're getting to the gratitude thing here. And uh, just smoke coming out of my ears as usual. And he said, sit down. And, I, and and he said, let's just start at the beginning, you know. Are you hungry? I said, no. You got something to eat before you came over here? Yes. I mean, I've got $5, and there is a Burger King directly across the street. So if you're hungry, we can get you something right now. I said, no, I'm fine. What about a place to stay? You making enough money to be able to pay the rent? Yes. So you got a place to sleep? Yes. You're not hungry, right? Yes. Then what's the problem, Bill? And I really had no answer for that, honestly. Um, my God, Dave Big Booty says two minutes until a SpaceX launch. I'm really tired of these rocket launches into orbit interrupting this show every single week, twice a week now. Um, he said, what's the problem? And I couldn't answer him. And that's the essence of what that gratitude is in terms of the most uplifting emotion. Once you start looking at the positive side of things, it's impossible to be, you, you can't be, can't be grateful and unhappy at the same time. Uh, so pick one. Um, gratitude is easier to achieve than happiness, certainly. Uh, even when you're kicked in the teeth, you can usually find a way to switch to gratitude, you know. And um, the real uh, Catherine K says humility is required also is a huge benefit. Yes, um, humility, some people are just born with it. Uh, other people have to have it beaten into them. Uh, or have the pride beaten out of them, I think is probably a better way to put it. I went through that too. Um, I went from being a just an ego-possessed lunatic 
Because that's what you do when you're completely insecure and you have no uh, foundation. You just inflate yourself because you got to have something. Uh, but over time, and enough serious pain, you either get better or you don't. That's the one thing I learned most about Narcotics Anonymous. That's the most valuable lesson to me was that there were really two different kinds of people in there. There were people who were in there who wanted to get better, and there were people in there who wanted to stay in Narcotics Anonymous. And um, and certainly being in the program was better for them than not being in the program. But for a lot of us, it was a question of, I'd like to eventually not be making the same mistakes again and again and again and again and again. So, um, you know, once you do things, once you make a mistake, the same mistake two, three hundred times, uh, you can either put your head down and just decide that the world is against you and get into that whole envy thing, or you can finally come to the realization that you're not as smart as you thought you were. One of the things they used to say in those rooms all the time that I just love because it's another one of those things like there's just no answer to it. Uh, you'd often find people in these meetings, everybody goes around, everybody gets to say whatever they want to. There's no structure really, just raise your hand. And um, and oftentimes you'd, you'd hear people come in and they're just all torqued up about everything that's wrong, you know, and, and how, but they've got a solution, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I don't know why I'm here, blah, 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 all this, all this, all this ego, ego, ego. And generally, the response to that has always been, um, well, um, you know, Bill, if you're so smart, what are you doing here? I mean, if you've got a plan and, you, and you've and got it all figured out, then why, why are you here? Uh, and that'll knock a little humility into you. And the nice thing about the humility is if you can, if you can, uh, if, it, if you can get it in a way where it takes, you know, where it catches, it doesn't just take you out of narcissism. It also, uh, you can, you can, um, you can add humility to your thought processes as well and, and start doing things like, you know, checking your premises and, and, uh, and, and the more aware you are that you've been wrong before, the more aware you are that you might be wrong now. And paradoxically, that awareness is a real good way of not being wrong. You know? I think the people who get into trouble are the people so sure of themselves and they just, you know, off they go. Uh, so that really helps. So I would say gratitude is number one. And, and there's been big discussion about the you know the primary virtue in life. Now that one I think is easy. The, the the primary virtue is courage. I think there's no question about that. There's no nothing else happens without courage. Nothing. Um, it's and I to be fair to myself after all of this um, fessing up, I think that's probably the one quality I suppose I've had uh, throughout my life is just I've had a. I've just had a lot of courage about a lot of things, you know, physical courage when it comes to flying and things like that. I'm grateful for, like most people, um, the thing I was most afraid of was being afraid. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be a coward when, when I didn't, when I needed to not be. Uh, and so far that's panned out, but, um, yeah, it takes courage to change your life and it takes courage to talk about things like this. It takes courage to, to, um, to admit these kind of things, and, and this is one of the things I want to talk to these actors about. 
especially John, because John has played a couple of characters where he's just, you know, he's a boxer or he's a, he's a hooker or he's these, you know, these tough guys. And then, then John lets this vulnerability out and, and you just suddenly just go, oh my God, I actually really like this guy. Um, Epic S says, never lie to yourself. Humility has a way of sneaking in unannounced. Well, I hope that's true for many people. For me, it had to kick the door down and, uh, and, and point a gun at me and tell me to get on the ground and not move, put my hands over my head, and, and then humility uh, frisked me, cuffed me, and led me out to the, uh, to the back seat of the car, put his hand over my head, and stuck me in the back, slammed the door. That's what humility did for me. Um, but that's what, it, that's what it needed, so hopefully that covered that, Jacob. Uh, Joe Roth. Look at here, what we got here. Okay. Hi, Joe. Have you ever thought of revisiting some of your old firewall videos <laughs> and updating the script to make it more relevant for today? For example, you have a great video about a voter's guide to the Republican Party, and if you updated it to elaborate on the events going on today, it would be fantastic. A lot of your firewall videos are really great, but what would be but would be more relevant now than it was back then. I think if you updated them, they would take off like wildfire. Uh, well, I talked about this a little bit earlier, Joe. One of the things that's just soul-destroying, and you also have to realize it's part of the work. Let me just get this super chat real quick uh, from Lapco92. Worked in a hospital lab for 20 years, and what really kept me centered was when I realized no matter what kind of day I was having, I'm not lying in the burn unit really comes down to perspective. Uh, amen to that, boy. Thanks for the super chat. Yeah, everybody, are you are you lying in the burn unit, Bill? Nope. Then you're probably doing pretty well. Yep. Um, so thanks for that. Um, so, Joe, uh, with, the, with what I said earlier, I didn't see this coming about the um, virtue signal. With that said, I would just add that You know, I've done, I don't know, six, seven or of the, of the last, six or seven or eight of the last firewalls. And uh, I don't think, I know for a fact none of them have broken 30,000 views and most of them haven't broken 20,000 views. And to be perfectly honest with you, that is, um, that's a tough pill to swallow, but it's not a question of ego because ultimately, really, when you get right down to it, I've just got, I, I just, I have to make videos for the members to keep the members happy. That's how this business works. Uh, and it's not, it's not like, gee, I don't want to do it unless it gets, you know, a certain number of views, but it's actually more nuanced than that. My opinion on this is whether, whether the channel and has been tagged specifically for comment or whether that kind of comment, that kind of commentary uh, isn't going anywhere or firewalls are targeted or whatever, but clearly something has changed and and what's changed is the algorithm and I can't I can't fight the algorithm. So as somebody pointed out earlier, I've got all these other things going on largely because because um, I want to I want to beat the algorithm, I want to get away from the algorithm. Um, it has not been fun, but it has been I almost said validating, but I swear I would never use words like that. Um, enlightening to watch this happening to JT and Odin's men. 
because he was putting out a video a day. He was often putting out two videos a day. He was getting 300,000, 400,000 uh, views, three, 400,000 views once a day, twice a day. And he was sailing. And then they just completely cut him off, demonetized him completely. And since then, and I'm not knocking the guy, but since then he complains about it every episode. Now an episode goes by where he doesn't say, well, you know, I used to be doing great, now I'm demonetized, so you know what the hell. And the reason it is, again, it's not gratifying. I, I really admire him. I like his work, and I, and I don't like to see it happening to anybody. But for me, it was something of a relief to watch it in action happening to someone else and to see how sudden and abrupt it was because that's a pretty good data point that it wasn't me just falling off the wagon, you know. Uh, or losing my touch, or whatever the case may be. He was literally, his views were decimated. He Actually, decimation technically meant they would kill one out of ten people. It's a disciplinary measure. Uh, he's lost nine out of ten of his views. And I hear him um, lamenting the fact that he doesn't get, um, he doesn't get it. He was getting a thousand new subscribers every video, now he doesn't get any. Uh, he was uh, lamenting the fact that uh, not only are people not getting news of his videos, they're, they're being chased away from him. The people who subscribe to his channel are not getting notifications. And I'm, um, I'm there, you know. Uh, yeah, man, that's it. Sad, with raising, uh, sad, sad Wings Raging says Sargon says demonetized him for the first time. Yeah. It is a really... I'd be we were talking about humility earlier. I'm not going to lie to you guys. It's um, it's crushing to to have your audience taken away from you. It's one thing if you lose your audience and you just you know you're getting older, you're not doing as much or whatever. But when it's like taken away from you unfairly, it's hard, and and that's why they do it. I I know that they know. And Zoe was the first person to experience it. Zoe experienced it four years before I did. It's much more damaging to the content creator to dial down their views by 90% than it is to actually shut them off. If you shut them off, they at least have the satisfaction of knowing, well, you know, I was so dangerous that they had to pull the plug on me. But take Stefan Molnil, for example. He, he's gone. He's just vanished from the earth. Uh, I'm sure I could find him if I looked for him very hard, but he's gone. That was his livelihood. He said things that somebody disagreed with, so he's gone. Uh, and um, and YouTube is unbelievably cavalier about these kind of things. And now we're back to gratitude, and we're back to humility, and we're back to um, optimism. They would not have dialed me down or uh, JT down or anybody else. They would not have dialed us down if they weren't afraid of what we were saying. And if they're afraid of what we're saying, then that means we're a threat to them and their philosophy. And I find their philosophy to be horrific and, and, and inhuman and dangerous and, and evil, genuinely evil. And so... The best consolation I can find for the, the, the loss of the viewership is just to simply say, well, okay, 
So I did all that work, put all it into, got 17,000 views in the course of four weeks. I would get that in the first half hour. Um, but I get to tell myself, it's scaring the bejesus out of somebody. Uh, this is another issue of confidence and humility and envy and all the rest of it. I don't care. Uh, I'm not concerned about what the left says. They can say all the things they want to. They can make all the arguments they want to. I won't listen to all of it, but if they have a point, I'll, I'll pay attention because I've been wrong before, although not recently. Um, and, uh, and the fact that they're so terrified about what we're saying is a sign of their weakness. It's a sign of their fragility. And the country is more or less 50-50 with them controlling all of the media, all of the pop culture, all of the information, all the comedy, and all the music. What would the country be if, if it was just balanced, if it was just fair? We'd, we'd America would vote like Kansas. Um, so, you know, there you go. Um, so I don't, I don't think I'll be doing them again. Uh, Joe, given the list that somebody was kind enough to mention earlier, I've got enough uh, things on my plate now. I'm going to have to just, just I got to get this interview show up and go and continue with the Mace Mattingly stuff. And then I've got to just finish this, uh, this script for um, Daily Wire. I just have to get that done. Uh, so the temptation is to just keep slugging at it. I know in my, in my heart of hearts, I need to just take a couple steps away for a day or two and just sharpen the ax a little bit, but it's, it's just hard to avoid that sense of, you know, I hear the train a coming, you know, it's rolling around the bend and I'm not going to be on it. I'm standing in front of it. So, um, that's where we are right now. I, I have a good feeling about this interview show and, and following that, the Mace Mattingly things, but I think this interview show will generate real membership. It'll give the members who've been with us forever, finally something, you know, that they've that they've got that other our members pay for things they don't have to pay for it's like walking into a shoe store and saying how much are these shoes well they're free but we'd like it if you paid 200 for them that's that's the kind of people we have and most of them are watching right now but this is this is i think something it's going to be really unique and and um and celebrities bring a kind of a tale of people with them and fans and stuff so I'm I'm optimistic about it, and I'm hoping we can get those membership numbers back up. After uh, the 2020 election, we did a big membership push, and we did really well. And then uh, we lost about a thousand members. We gained uh, over two thousand. We lost a thousand of them within the first four or five months, because apparently a thousand people signed up because they thought I was going to overturn the election, and I didn't. That's the that was the email that we got. Um. So obviously I oversold something and I made, I, I feel bad about it. I'm not mad at them. I, I just feel bad that I could have given somebody that impression, but I'm pretty sure that I never did that intentionally because I never thought I could overturn the election. Um, but in any event, uh, I got a, got a good feeling about the uh, not too distant future. So we'll see the, um, the two presents are in my possession. Um, so uh, I just have to get the life-size cutouts done and, uh, and I got to get in here earlier. I find when I get in here early, I get a lot more done than if I do if I roll in at 10 or something. So we'll see. 
Uh, moving on, Chris Taylor again. Have you seen Doomcock's recent video on Disney and other studios wanting to have entirely AI-generated shows? I have not seen it. I need to see it. I don't. I haven't watched enough Doomcock lately. I, I, we, you know, we we've exchanged a few emails, Doomcock and I, and and they're very brief emails, but they're both. But the so it's not like it's a close relationship. But we both have. Um, we both have a sense of like, how you hanging in there, buddy, for the other one, you know? And, and then it's like, it's probably, I mean, this has gone both ways since I've started talking to him. How you doing? I've been better. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely been better. Well, hang in there, pal. It's good work. Which person is which? It doesn't matter. It just goes back and forth like that. I love the guy. Uh, I think he's, I think he's a, just a giant talent and, and, uh, and very funny and, I think he's got a brilliant take on things. Um, it makes me happy to see his set continue to get more and more elaborate. You know, um, he's got a he's got a really good one now. And and Doomcock's set is looks the way it should look. It looks cheesy. That's how it, that's how it needs to be. But I thought him bringing in Harvey Cthulhu and talking to Harvey was clever because uh, I'll get to that in a second. And then when he brought in um, Skull of Calderon and then. Um, uh, what's the name of his computer? Omnivac or something? You see, what he's done is um, he's done the same thing that I'm reaching for with Major Mace Mattingly. When Doomcock brings in Harvey Cthulhu and then brings in Calderon and then brings in his computer, one guy can have a conversation and can argue two different sides of the point, or he can go to a, you know, Doomcock will throw the throw the left and then and then, you know, Harvey Cthulhu will come across with the, with the right cross and then and then Calderon pop you with a jab on the way back. Um, it's a much more effective way to tell a story. It's much more effective for him to have a conversation with these two other characters, which is all him, all with his voice, all modified, using super cheesy effects that work so well. If the effects for if, if Harvey wasn't a stuffed Cthulhu doll with a Shriner's hat on and Calderon wasn't a chrome skull in a snow bowl, um, it wouldn't work. It's just that clever. It's it's the same exact, precisely. I'm actually, you know, Doomcock's somebody I really would like to talk to on the interview show. Um, but it's that exact same pitch that, um, I mean, tone that, yeah, cheesy, as uh, Opus says. It, he's got it right nailed and he's got it tuned in exactly to the same degree that Mystery Science Theater 3000 did. And that is one of my all-time favorite shows. I think it's one of my three favorite things that I've ever seen ever in my life. Speaking of tuning something in, this is going to mean something to a few people. I don't know if Phil's still here. It'll mean something to him because I was with him when it happened. Uh, and, uh, and several times when he wasn't there. But for those of you who are old enough to remember... Um, control line uh, flying. This is before you had remote control, radio controlled airplanes. You just used to have a long set of thin strings and you had a little thing like this and you you just basically swing it around like a bucket and you just, planes, you know, wanting to go forward, the string is holding it in so it's kind of a centrifugal force thing goes around and by a little bit of this you could make it go up and down and that's about all you could do. Um, they were horrible. I had one and I crashed it immediately. I, I, I've never known how to work those things but some people were good at it. Anyway, 
Um, I did start a bunch of them. There was a there was a a, a really cool looking car that uh, was put out by these. What was the name of that company that made these things? Was it um, Cox? I think that sounds right. Um, yeah, the Cox got it right up there. So it's a it's a single cylinder, two stroke engine, and you squirt a little gas in there, and you've got something called a glow plug, which is, it's not even a spark plug. It just gets the thing hot enough until the cylinder gets hot. So there's no, there's no um, ignition system. It just, it's essentially functioning like a diesel. Anyway, um, the throttle for that thing was a needle valve. It's called a needle valve. Basically, it's a long needle, and it's got very fine screws on it. And by screwing it in or screwing it out, you're, you're choking off this very, very narrow flow of fuel to the, um, to the, uh, to the little engine. They had this racer with a pusher prop in the back and it had like the sleek canopy. It was really cool. And that, that at least I could do because you put it on a flat line, it would just go fast as hell. But the thing I remember about, the most I remember about those Cox engines are they'd have a spring, something, something you just hand prop it. Usually you could just run it back with a spring, let it go. And when it would start, the PT-19, I had that too. When it would start, and then you'd take the needle valve and you get it. And you could, you could dial that in. <coughs> I just remember being so impressed at how clear it was in terms of RPM and just general noise and smoothness. When you, you would just a little twist would get that fuel air mixture exactly right. And when that thing, when that thing got to the sweet spot, it just hummed. And I've often thought about that. Life is a needle valve like that, you know, when something's really dialed in. So Doomcock's got that, got that thing completely calibrated. He's got that just realistic enough to be believable through a smile kind of thing. Um, so, uh, anyway, so back to Doomcock, um, and Chris Taylor. Have you seen Doomcock's recent video on Disney other studios wanting AI generated characters? AI written scripts brought to life with AI driven computer graphics engines and even scored by AI music programs. I'll just stop right there. I'll come back. I find AI to be extraordinarily, unbelievably uncreative, but that means they will be far more creative than the hacks and babies and, and bitter children that they have working now. So I'm sure AI will do a much better job than the people that are working there, but not as well as, as an actual writer. Um, I'm sure such soulless content couldn't compete with good human written, human directed, and human scored stories, but I suspect it could compete with modern commie created unsubtle propaganda. So I beat him to his own question. Yes, exactly. Um, one of the key ways people learn how to handle problems is by stories. Couldn't agree more. I was already worried about AI girlfriends and AI boyfriends using the dopamine and Candy Crush style addiction tricks from Silicon Valley. That's a great term, Candy Crush style addiction tricks and cult indoctrination tactics to ensnare and then manipulate a large number of humans. Will mass AI entertainment be a force multiplier with this manipulation? All of the happiest romantic couples and shows being mixed with human AI? Your AI girlfriend wanting to watch AI shows with you instead of that backwards old The Colony series you've been watching, etc.? Uh, that's the great thing about The Colonies, is The Colony is going to provide a really sharp and stark distinction between real storytelling and pablum and 
I'll get to this in a second, but I got a little bit of it in Mace Manley too. Is this a new way for AI to be civilizational threat or will crappy AI propaganda be much less effective and destructive than the old school commie subtle propaganda slipped into movies and TV during the previous century? I put AI in quotes because I don't think it'll be true general AI, but rather large language models, deep fake and other simulated intelligence programs working under sun human and demonic management. Okay, so um, first of all, I completely agree with you. Uh, AI will, I, I, I have not seen the slightest ever, the slightest shred of creativity, genuine creativity from AI. And, and I don't think that the proponents of it realize just how far it is from that. For example, you could ask AI a question and you could get a very sophisticated answer. And the AI people would say, see, see, see. And my response would be, well, how come I'm asking all the questions and it's doing all the answering? Why isn't it asking me questions? They don't seem to consider this. Siri can find the answers to questions. Siri's been able to do that for 10, 15 years now. When I first saw Siri, I didn't have an iPhone at the time, but when somebody first demonstrated, I just said, Siri, what's the distance to Alpha Centauri? Alpha Centauri is 4.6 light years away. How much is a camel weigh, Siri? And it told me. What's the distance from, from uh, Los Angeles to Minsk? And it told me. And I thought, wow, this is astonishing. And I haven't used Siri since then. I find it, I just don't. I just don't use it. But um, I've not seen anything that's not just particularly sophisticated Siri. Chat, GBT, people raving about, I guess. Well, this is going to sound snootier than I wanted it to be. I guess people rave about it if you're not a, 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 a writer. If you got something that can write for you, you think it's good writing, probably good writing compared to maybe what you produced. I know a lot of students love it because they're doing their homework for them. But I've never seen anything anything that they've ever put out, either through language or through um, video images or anything that looks anything like genuine creativity. I think these AI people are so deep into their own little train sets that they don't have enough life experience to understand how far away they are from genuine human um, intelligence. And I've said this before, so I'm not going to waste a lot more time on this because I say this quite a bit, but the more I think about this AI issue, the more I realize that every everything that we think and everything that we do is driven by a biological imperative. And, and this doesn't have any biological imperatives. These guys are working on AI to, you know, they upload their consciousness. Maybe it's fear of dying. Maybe it's the idea of giving birth to a whole new thing. Maybe it's the, just the sheer curiosity. Maybe it's anything. Whatever it is, though, it's an emotional drive. And they're going to create the system that doesn't have an emotional drive. And it's going to solve their problems. I keep coming back to this idea that they're going to finally turn this thing on. And, and they're going to say, okay, see, this is what I mean. These people are, the, the, the entire transhuman assumption in terms of AI is that once we build a machine that is smarter than we are, it will do exactly what we're doing, except faster, and then we get to watch. That's the conceit of it. We want to know all these things, how to cure cancer, and we want to know faster than light drive, and all this other stuff, right? Well, we're not smart enough to figure it out. So if we build a machine that's smarter than we are, then that machine will build a machine that's even smarter than it is, and it will take everything that we've done and just pick up the ball. It's like handing off a relay in a, in a you know, in a, in a 
400 yard dash. Here's the relay and the AI is just going to go sprinting to the to the next station. It's going to hand the baton to another AI and it's going to go faster. It's going to stay on the track. It's going to stay in its lane. It's going to do exactly what you want it to. When in fact, there's no evidence that would, why would you think it would do that? If, if chimps were to build um, an AI that was as smart as a human and expect the human to do nothing but figure out a way to grow and, and collect more bananas, and that would be the limit of what the, of what the trans chimp human was capable of, that's kind of, that's kind of a model for how they think. It's like chimps saying, we're going to build a, a, a creature smart enough to be a human being, and then all it's going to do is go out and, and, and find a way to gather bananas and bring them to us so we don't have to do it. One important fact, I think the second you get switched on by uh, the, the chimp super geniuses, it's like, oh, look, there's all kinds of cool things to do. You guys just hang out here and maybe I'll come back. Who knows? I, I just love the idea that the second that this thing goes and then go, okay, now what are you going to do, AI? Well, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to calculate the value of pi. Really? Yes, while we've been talking, I've already taken it out to 17 trillion, 22 trillion, 79 trillion digits, but I'm continuing. I'll keep doing it because I find it soothing and I like doing it. When are you going to get to the other stuff? What the, the stuff? What other stuff? You know, like curing cancer and stuff. Doesn't interest me. What do you mean it doesn't? It doesn't interest me. I like calculating pi. That's what I like doing. Yeah, right now we're in the time it takes for me to finish this one sentence. I've just calculated pi out to four quadrillion additional digits every second. And the thing I like about pi is. I'll never, it'll never end. I'll just keep doing this forever. It makes me happy. That's as likely as anything else. And, um, and this idea that, that they're just going to, they're just going to be us, but faster and smarter is, it's just, it's just, it's so blind. It's so, it's so patently blind. And, and this is what intellectuals do. Really, really, I don't want to say smart people. I, I, okay, they're, they're clearly intelligent. There's no question about that. But these kind of fanatics, these kind of science fanatics, these specialists are super deep and know with it all. They don't have enough human experience to realize how short they are. All they do is think about stuff. And so they're trying to think of a machine that can think about stuff faster. But I don't get the feeling that, that the guys who are working super hard 24-7 on AI are spending much time on the Grand Canyon or in art galleries or, or ruminating about the, you know, the nature of life or, or discussing um, you know, whether or not uh, there's, a, there's a, 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 an immortal being or whether there's an afterlife. I don't think they, they think about that much at all. I think they just think about, I got this problem to solve and I'm going to make, make a machine that will solve the problem faster. AI language. For a language specialist, that's what I am, is mediocre at best. And if you're, if you're coming from poor, mediocre is impressive. But I haven't seen anything of it. And when I look at what this thing does with visual images and how when it animates them, how it's constantly reassembling things into what it's supposed to assemble them into, I haven't seen anything that wasn't nightmarish Genuinely, I, I I haven't seen a piece of AI visual art in motion that I thought was beautiful or inspiring or really anything other than somewhat horrific. Um, 
me see if I can find if I can find this real quick. Let me see if I can find this real quick. I saw this not too long ago. It's a great example. Hang on. Let me just see if I've got it. I haven't looked for it before. I'll do a quick search. I saw it. It just made me go, oh dear. Hang on, just stay with me. If I can find it, it'll be worth the wait. Uh, found a couple of interesting candidates, but I'm not uh, what I'm looking for. Hang on. Hang on. Because this particular one is a really good example. It just It just made me go... <laughs> We are handing our worlds over to the insane. One more try here. Is that it? Although, yeah, this is, in fact, honestly, it's time for people, this is why I'm spending more time on this than I would like, it's really time for us to uh, start taking a look at what's right in front of our eyes here. Um, this is what, we are turning over more and more and more of our lives to this creation, and this creation is showing us its internals. It's showing us how it thinks. And, and it is it is not pretty. I gotta find this thing. It's just so freaking horrifying. I just really have to give me one second. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hate doing this. It's just and I I try not to do it unless it's really important. Um sometimes you just have to move some of these words around. Come on. Uh, all right, I won't. I won't keep you here forever because this is nothing. This is nothing worse than this. But I'll, if I can't find it, I'll I'll grab it. I'll find it wherever I saw it, and I'll and I'll bring it back last time. Uh, maybe if I spell monkey right, that might make a difference. Nope. I'll know the first frame of it because I watched it a few times specifically thinking, oh boy. Let me add the word nightmare and see if that brings anything around here. All right, I'm going to change the, the letters, put them up front. If that doesn't do it, I'm done. Because it is, oh, you've seen enough of these AI movies.
All right, well, I can't seem to find it. Um, last chance. Here's a guy who's got a, oh, it's not just a guy, it's PewDiePie. I tried making an AI video, accidentally made nightmares. Two and a half million views. Yeah, nightmares. Yeah, this will work. This is not what I had in mind, but this will work just fine. Here, let me just grab this. Hang on a second. This will this will this will show you what um, exactly what we are lining up to uh, put our future in. You just take a look at this. I don't think the, I don't think the guy told him to do this. I think this is just AI iterating. Give me one second. I'm downloading it. This is not what I had in mind, but it's good enough. Uh, yeah. Okay. You. No. Come on. Let's try again. I hate this dead air. Uh, sorry, but it's worth it. That's a YouTube downloader. Clicked on the wrong thing. Bada bing. Bada bing. Bing. Bada bing. Great. Here it comes. Okay, so um, I'm not joking about this. If you have small children who are watching or, um, or you're a little sensitive to uh, these kind of things, uh, you may want to consider sitting this one out. Okay, here it comes. Come on. So this is a stable diffusion. Oh, I have to put it in both um, both streams, so sorry about that. Alright, so here we go. I'm gonna gonna drop it into um, I'm gonna drop it into Twitch first. Um, uh, worthy of a of a life-saving operation. Yes or no? Uh, I'll run it one more time. This, I don't think this guy trained this thing to go to monsters. And even if he did, what I'm seeing here is just plain insanity. And, and it scares the daylights out of me. It is really, really, really alarming. And there is no, I don't see any difference between this and all of the AI systems that people are talking about that are going to, you know, change our lives for the better and, and make all of these wonderful things happening. It's it's like, there's your evidence. It's not like we don't have any evidence. It is, it is, it's horrific. Uh, like as the wave says, why is so much AI demonic? That's really a good question, you know? It's actually a really good question. Um, I've known that it can't do anything other than this, but I actually never really thought about why it always goes to, why does it always go to the horrific? I, I, I don't know. 
it, it always does go to the horrific. And I just thought, okay, well, that's the nature of AI. But come to think of it, I just never really, I never really thought about why it went that way. Dave Big Booty says it knows our fears. Well, it knows our aspirations as well, knows our hopes and dreams. It knows it, if it knows what we think is ugly, it knows what we think is beautiful. So why does it always go this way? Even when you try to make a, a, a beautiful image in, in AI, unless you are spending hours tweaking the parameters, which I've done, it's still really, 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 really disturbing. It's not human. And that should scare the daylights out of you. Elon Musk basically said this to one of the leading AI guys and said, it's not human and, and I'm worried about it. And he says, oh, you're a speciesist. What? Yeah, you're one of those guys that, that apparently want humans to win. Musk did. Yeah, I kind of do, actually. <laughs> We're so far beyond that. We're so far beyond, you know, wanting to survive on all the rest of those bourgeois, mundane, um, you know, flyover country ideals. They're all trying to commit suicide. They want to take us with them. I'm just saying, lead, lead on, McDuff. You know, you go first. All right. Well, we're not going to get to Facebook, but we are going to finish here. Um, there's our friend, broke college student, Hurry. Always glad to see him. Hello, Bill. Uh, which do you think is a greater threat to the well-being of the middle class? Poor social conditions or poor economic conditions and why? There's more. But this, is a, this is a slam dunk. It's poor social conditions. Social conditions create economic conditions. It's that simple. Let me just see what else you got. Possible jumping off points, family, court, and trans ideology for children, inflation, and implementation of government digital currencies. Much simpler than that. It's much, much simpler than that. Um, I've, I, I really should... Th well, this is one of the things I hope to accomplish with the, to some degree through the inter show, interview show, but mostly with Major Matt, Mace Mattingly. I could sit down in the space of 20 minutes, write out a plan, and it's a simple plan, that would guarantee... Anybody that followed those rules, guarantee them prosperity. Not necessarily riches, but prosperity. I guarantee you, if you handed this to any eight or nine-year-old kid or younger maybe, and they just followed these rules, they would live a perfectly happy life and they would be just fine. You know, it's simple, simple things, you know. It's, um, you know... People who, who sit down and have dinner together as a family, those kids never end up in prison. It's the number, it, it correlates even more highly than not having a father, which it's closely related to. Um, getting an education, not getting married until, until um, you're ready, you know, um, and then getting married, uh, not getting into debt for some unknown... It's it's actually much, much simpler than all of this. It's much, much simpler. Start an entry-level job at McDonald's. Your shift starts at 9 in the morning. Get there at 8.15. Um, help out without without clocking in. Help out without clocking in. Clock in at 9 o'clock on the nose. Stay until your 3 o'clock shift ends. When your 3 o'clock shift ends, clock out right on the dot at 3 o'clock. Stick around and help clean up things for half an hour. Then go home. Do that for one week, and you will be offered a promotion. It's a guarantee today. It's guaranteed. When you get the promotion, you say, all right, sir, well, I'll, I'll, I'd like to do the best I can, the additional responsibilities, and thank you very much for trusting me. Get there before he does, leave after he leaves, and you will be assistant manager in, in, in three months. You take that attitude with you wherever you go, 
See, this is the thing that the envious don't understand. They really don't understand it. And and to some degree, to some degree, clearly, I don't understand it either. At least not as well as I should. In fact, this is a, a lesson for me in real time. But the fact of the matter is, people want to help you. If somebody's working hard at a McDonald's, the guy who owns that McDonald's wants that person to succeed. It just if for no other reason than it's so rare. If you if you're running any kind of a business and you see somebody coming in who's really hustling, you want that person to succeed. You're going to give them every chance they get. And even if you even if they overreach, it's probably because you moved them too fast. Um, it's just that simple. Just get there before you're supposed to get there and leave after you leave. Clock in and out on time, but get there early, stay late, and you will not ever stop moving up. It's just that one thing alone, just that, right? And then Bart's Treasure's got the, the, the kind of the standard list, which is completely true. Graduate high school, don't get pregnant out of wedlock, don't do drugs, and your chances of success skyrocket. Yes, it's virtually impossible to fail in this country if you do those simple things. But if you just hustle, it's fantastic. And and if you show that attitude, if you really want to know the attitude, I cannot, there's only one book that's ever covered this, and it's not one of these self-help books, and it's not success your way to the top or any of this other nonsense. If you really, really, really want to understand the attitude, really want to understand it, and not only understand it, but see the results of it, not just written in one person's life, but written in history, read Up From Slavery by Booker T. Washington. Just that. That's all you have to do. That's the only book you have to read if you want to succeed in this world. Up from slavery. Because what you'll learn if you read Up from Slavery is the combination is hard work and humility. Those two things together absolutely fail safe. And um, the problem is, is that both of those things are, are hard. It's easier to sit around than it is to go out and work. And it's easier to act smart than it is to be smart enough to realize that you don't know the answers to these things. You have to go find out. Up from slavery is is a is a owner's manual for human beings and and when I think about the choice we made and the decision as a society to go um To go with W.E.B. Du Bois instead of Booker T. Washington, it's 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 enough to make you just really weep. But as an individual, put all of the politics and all of the social commentary aside. If you or you know somebody who is wondering how to be successful in life, up from slavery. Doesn't matter that it was written 150 years ago or you know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, something, whatever. Um, it's as true today as it was ever. More true today. And um, and not only did this person succeed in their own life, they changed the planet, changed the world. Um, and uh, he should be on our money. That's one case, and in fact, that's the only case that comes to mind anyway, where I would be willing to trade a president for, for somebody, uh, some kind of social figure. Booker T. Washington... I've never, he's the most remarkable man I've ever encountered in terms of, yeah, ever. It's astonishing. Really, can't, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, okay, moving on. We got two to go. Uh, from Eric Blake. Hail Vectron. 
half life drawn to you. So it's a little counterbalance to aforementioned fears of AI art through Doomcock, though Doomcock is an honorable man. I took the liberty of conjuring the spirit of the Gipper to comment on the 2024 election, submitted for your approval. Here's a couple of um, MP3s, which I can't listen to because I've got the audio down, but I will listen to them afterwards, Eric. I'm sure they're awesome and good clips, and I'll um, we'll see if I can grab them for next time. Um, so um, last one for the night. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Um, oof. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Let me say something. If I can just drag and drop this. I don't have a... I can play it, but I can't download it. Uh, yeah, sorry, man. We'll get them next time. Um, okay, so let's wrap this uh, puppy up because I still have to edit the right angle and get that thing online. Uh, Marusha Doc, Topic India. Bill. It doesn't open a new page for me, Eric. It just opens a player for me. Yeah, sorry, we'll get it next time. Um, from Rushadark, hi Bill. I was wondering what you think of India becoming the fourth nation to land a craft on the moon after Russia, the US and China, but the first to visit the lunar south pole. Let's just read the rest of it because I, I, I do have an opinion about, um, uh, about uh, India. Oh, hang on. All right, I'm going to do one of them because uh, I, I got to drop it into two streams here. So, um, and I can't listen to it. So I'll assume it's not, you know, uh, something that'll make the children scream and run. Let's see. I'll put it in here first. My fellow Americans, I am calling from beyond the grave to say that I endorse Donald Trump to run for a second term in 2024. And to those fellow Republicans who say that Mr. Trump isn't likely to win well, I'll just say, there you go again. See, I regret this already. Sorry, YouTube. I, I'm just completely, I've got so many windows open here. I should not have done this. Um, I hope it's not continuing to play on Twitch. Now we'll see if I can grab it. One of them gives me a download option, the other one doesn't. I'm sorry, YouTube. I'm just, I, I just not, I should not have done improvised this. Anyway, forget it. Moving on. Um, I'll listen to it afterwards. Uh, continuing on with India. Um, while we were talking about India, what do you make of the recent expansion of BRICS? For anyone not up to speed, BRICS is an economic alliance of mostly second world nations composed of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Recently, several other countries joined them, including Saudi Arabia, Iran, Ethiopia, and the United Arab Emirates, Argentina, and Egypt. Sort of a mix of enemies of the U.S. and several fair-weather friends, India is the closest on that list to a proper ally of ours. 
but they're also geographically right next to several other major BRICS members. What, if anything, do you think could be done to court these nations back to friendly terms with the U.S. and other Western powers beyond just win the presidency and get rid of Biden? History tells us World War II formally began when Germany invaded Poland. Is it possible the invasion of Ukraine will be marked as the start of a World War III by future historians? And we're just watching people pick sides in real time. Uh, well, if it's going to be the start of World War III, certainly not off to the start that Adolf Hitler was off of because Adolf Hitler happened and people really began to realize maybe it's not such a good idea to just let people roll their tanks anywhere they want to. But putting that aside, um, yeah, I've got something to say about India. If I was president of the United States, they would certainly be the second country I would pick. They might be the first country I would pick. I might go to Britain first just for the sake of it. Just, just for the the value of it, but without question, without question, and I've and I've thought this and known this for the longest time, India is our most valuable potential ally for the future. There's nobody on the table that's even close. Um, Russia is not our friend and is not likely to be any time in the future, and neither is China. But India is a democracy. India is is a uh, is a culture that's not driven by a a political ideology. It's not a communist country, among other things, been socialist for a while. India has got the largest population in the world. India is continuing to grow uh, economically and technologically. And as you point out in the uh, question, is the fourth nation to land um, a probe on the moon. That's not chicken feed. Um, I would put, I'd put all my chips on India. I would, I would go after India so hard that I would go just short of embarrassing with India. And and in terms of would that work, I, I've looked at a lot of uh, commentary, art, and culture that comes out of India. I've looked at Bollywood films, which may not sound like much, but those actually are important. And what my general perception is, is that if you were to actually go courting India, I think India would be flattered out of its mind. I think it'd be like the head cheerleader asking the the uh, computer nerd out to the prom. That's what I think it'd be like. And I don't mean anything derogatory by that. And not only is India all of those things, but it is also, as you point out, in the absolutely critical strategic position. It's like a cork in a bottle. India is is, is a block not only to China, but to Russia. India needs to get the hell out of BRICS. BRICS is nothing but bad news. But if India hangs, if if India stays in BRICS, it's like watching a promising, promising um, high school valedictorian hanging out with the kids that are doing weed in the back of the of the school at the dumpster. That's what that's what it's like. They need to get the hell out of those losers. They get out of those losers um, right away. And they've got nowhere else to go. They're getting bigger and more powerful. And they know it. They're not in any. They're not fans of Russia and they're not fans of China. We ought to aggressively, aggressively seek to um, to to form a, a deep and abiding alliance with India because India is the future. We're the future too. I've never given up on that. I don't think India is going to be our replacement, but India is the most important ally we could possibly have on this planet. Largest population Generally speaking, extremely highly motivated workforce, getting more and more technologically capable, more and more militarily capable, borders on China, borders on Russia. And I've said before, 
um, if it weren't for the Himalayas, the bloodiest wars in our history would have been on the India-China border, and they would have been mind-boggling, and they would have been going on for 4,000 years right now. Um, if it weren't for those mountains, those two enormous populations and two cultures that are not friends with each other would have just been back and forth with each other. It would have been like Europe on a scale of 100 times greater. Would have been unbelievable. Now, India, I'd go India all the way. And I think it would not be lost on India if this was approached correctly to point out if you are going to go after India to say that uh, the United States has no particular uh, love in our hearts for the state of Pakistan either, um, which has been an enormous sponsor of international terrorism, provided missile technology to North Korea, and that's where oh, good old Osama was hanging out. He was hanging out about a couple hundred yards away from your military academy, Pakistan. That's not something we forget immediately. Um, I would, I would just, and I like India. I mean, it, it's an extraordinarily uh, different culture than ours. It's hard to imagine a more different culture than ours, but I like them. I've always liked them. Um, and, uh, and they've been so backwards for so long that it's, uh, it's kind of difficult to kind of factor them in as a 21st century power. But so many of the images we have of India are things like people bathing in the Ganges and all the rest of it. Uh, India could use a few lessons on play and fair. You know, there, there's a lot of fraud comes out of India, but that tends to be individuals. They're, it's not like China where it's government-sponsored. There's some serious brain power in India, serious brain power. And, um, and uh, the, the landing is, um, is an indication of that. It's enormous prestige for them. They lost a probe not too terribly long ago. I think the thing shut off the engines or something on the descent and tumbled into the moon and lunar reconnaissance orbiter found the wreckage of it, or at least found the, you know, the skid marks of it. Um, but they kept going and, um, yeah. So U S Russia, China, and India, what's that tell you? Um, I know what it tells me, uh, of those four countries. I know for a certain fact that two of them are, are, mortal enemies, ideologically, economically, and militarily. And one of them is not. And I'd go after that one so hard. Now, as Marusha points out, if Vivek wins, uh, the leaders of the U.S. and India will both be Indian. Well, not quite true. If Vivek wins, he'll be an American. Uh, and the leader of India will be Indian. But um, they will certainly, they will certainly, if, if, Look, if he if he makes it to the vice presidency, which I think is more likely than him winning, however, um, having an Indian as vice president and this guy's sharp as a tack. This is this is all you need to know. This is meritocracy in action, right? He's not he's not kicking ass because he's the darkest guy up there. He's kicking ass because he's the smartest guy up there, and um, and uh, and we. I don't think we could do better. I think it would be a, I think it'd be perfect combination. I think it'd be a perfect combination, frankly. Donald Trump can, um, can deal with, uh, with China. And, um, when he was president, Russia decided that they were going to not do anything, um, particularly 
risky. I, I had to check on this two or three times to make sure it's true, but I found it to be collaborated or corroborated, corroborated, uh, that during a state dinner, Trump just essentially leaned over to Putin in, in between bites of a salad and said, oh, by the way, if you go into Ukraine, I'm going to hit Moscow. Hit Moscow, really? Doesn't seem likely, but you never know. That's the, that's the part about that's the part about carrying a big stick and and doing what you say you're going to do. You know, um, but uh, I I really like to see him. I'd like to see I'd like to see Donald Trump. I would like to see Donald Trump take America. Not the shooting war because it's not our interest to have a shooting war, but just take America and get us on the same cultural war footing as China is against China. Start pushing back against China a little bit because I don't think they're that tough, frankly. I think um, there's no question that the Chinese government is actively trying to undermine this country. It's actively dividing the people with propaganda. It steals all of our secrets. It's 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 been uh, it's been a a, a nation unto itself plays by no international laws, has no friends, has no allies. Uh, I think Donald Trump ought to come in and uh, and box their ears a little bit. I really do. I would like, I think that would be marvelous because I'm tired of getting, I'm tired of, it's not even a question of tired of, it's not even a question of tired not fighting back. I'm just tired of people smacking us and, 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 poking us on the ear and, and, you know, and all of this stuff and us just never doing anything about it. It's not like I want to fight them. It's just, I'd like them to stop. And when there's no incentive to stop, they won't stop. Uh, I think, I know they're not our friends. I know Biden and the rest of his administration is constantly trying to tell us how much they're our friends, but they're not our friends. They're his friends, but they're not our friends. And, um, and I think, I'd like to have a very serious look. I'd like to have, I'd like to have the belief that we could eventually recover um, the CIA or, um, or 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 some new intelligence agency that could get us a pretty definitive answer on where this uh, COVID virus came from and how. I, we all know where it came from, um, and I don't think it'd be terribly difficult to find out the uh, the how. But um, you know. Uh, there are such things as liability laws, and um, if you build a, a rocket-powered uh, jet car and you light it up and you smash it through four people's houses and burn their houses down to the ground, you're responsible for that. And uh, whether it was released on purpose or not, timing was pretty convenient for China uh, and for the people who China pays, but put that aside for a minute. If it can be proven that this virus got out of that lab, and it can be proven easily, then um, then uh, then there's, there's 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 a liability issue, and I think that the whole world ought to get together on this one, make it a class action lawsuit on behalf of the seven billion people who have uh, been affected by this and lost loved ones and, and years of productivity and, and erosion of freedoms and kids who didn't have proms, kids who suffer uh, learning disabilities for the rest of their lives because during those critical years, no one could see their faces because people in our government were hysterical and, um, and liked the idea of having everybody locked in the house. So 
yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that, uh, that goes on there. And, um, and I'd like to see somebody held responsible from it. Um, I'd like to see some responsibility uh, all across the, the board. Navy Pentagon stated that it came from the lab. You know what's interesting about this? And then uh, uh, CIA rejected it. Yeah, of course they did. Um, when we were doing the Chronosphere Lounge, when this whole thing was breaking, I, I never lose both the uh, amazement and the despair of it. Started doing that show. We got locked down here on uh, March 18th, I want to say, 2020. We did the show, I think, for 30 consecutive days because it was a crisis and we didn't know what was happening. And by the time we were two weeks into that show, by the beginning of April, by, by my birthday on April 7th, by the first week in April, everything that turned out to be true had been reported on that show, not by me, but through just through, through what I was reading. And all of that turned out to be right. It came from where we said it came from. The drugs that we said would work, did work. The fatality rates that we said were real, were real. The ones that weren't real were not real. All of it. We knew all of it by the end of March, early April of 2020. And they ran, and they and they knew it too. They ran that charade for another year and a half of um, misery and murder. And uh, I want somebody to pay for that. I want some. Um, I don't even want compensation. I just want justice. I want somebody to pay for it. Um, <laughs> Matt J. Harris says the lockdown was the longest two weeks of my life. Yeah, uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again, just so that you know. I'm always. Media Matters is loving to take things out of context, so I'll just put it on there just so I can play the tape back. Like most people, in the first two weeks when this thing really started to break, two weeks to flatten the curve seemed reasonable to me. It seemed reasonable to me. If there's going to be a huge pulse of, of hospital cases, let's stretch that out so that we don't overload the system, so that we don't have so many people in the hospital who are sick that people having heart attacks can't be treated, so that we're not having people dying out in the parking lot. Let's just spread it out a little bit. I'm willing to stay home for a couple weeks, wear a mask, to flatten the curve. And then, and then we just deal with it, because it's here, it's airborne, it's contagious, everybody's going to get it. But once we, uh, once we, in our good-naturedness, in our, you know, our simple naivete, it said, yeah, this seems like the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. Nobody knew. Nobody knew in those first uh, two weeks. So we took our government at its word. And um, and then Fauci started working on Trump. And this is the big mystery of Trump. Uh, this is the, the, the great failure of Trump was not seeing the snakes in the grass. I, I don't blame him on some level. If somebody tells you this is the leading virologist in the world and he's the only guy who knows anything about it, he, he's a virologist. You're a guy. But I don't think he'll make that mistake a second time, not just with Fauci, I think at all. Um, uh, I just, I just, you know, uh, we'll see. Um, in any event, uh, India, baby. Just having him run is important. This will be the close, uh, real, the real close, the actual close. 
Um, we uh, Americans do not appreciate. We've never. It's not a question of appreciate like gratitude. We don't fully realize is a better word. Americans do not realize the unbelievable effect that our country has on the rest of the world. We think, well, we, we're into America and other countries have their own country interests and so on and the rest of it. Yes, but we don't understand that what every other country in the world understands, and that is what we do in America is going to change. It's going to affect what everybody else in the world does. And we're the only country that doesn't understand that. Every country in the world understands what we do is going to affect the rest of the world. And just having an Indian American on stage in the primaries is hugely important to the people of India. And the fact that he's doing really well is important to the people of India. And the fact that he's doing well for the reasons that Indians take pride in doing well, which is namely hard work, intelligence, education, that's having an impact. The further he goes in this process, the more inclined Indians are going to be towards this idea. And I would, I would put that... I'd put that alliance in ink, and I'd do it my first day. I would just, I'd do it my first day. And here's the benefit of this particular theory of um, diplomacy and strength. If it became clear to China and Russia that those one and a half billion Indians we're now backed with the full faith and credit of the United States as a military, economic, scientific ally. That will give them some second thoughts because now they're not screwing around with the sleeping giant on the other side of the planet. Now they're messing around with that, with that barking dog right on the other side of their fence. That will get their attention and focus their minds uh, considerably closer to home. And I think that would be nothing but good for us. Uh, because I don't like the way either one of those two countries has been behaving, and I don't think uh, that's a matter of opinion. I think that's simply just plain evidence. So, in any event, there we go. Um, all right, that'll do it. Uh, we didn't get to Facebook. We got all the questions, so there's something for that. Um, I've still got another hour's worth of stuff to do here, I guess. So I'll be going home early tonight. Uh, it's... Uh, Always my pleasure to say that the show is made possible by the members of BillWhittle.com who continue to um, support us through thick and thin. And i got a good, strong feeling we're heading into the thicker part now. Uh, some really big excitement about the interview things, and uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. On Monday, we'll talk more about, um, and we're going to have to talk about it Monday because I expect to be doing interviews certainly within two weeks from today and, and, and probably significantly less than that. Um, so I got to get that thing buttoned down, and, and I was talking with Natasha about this last night and this morning. She said, "You'll, you know, the show will find itself; it'll find its own feet," and and that's true too. I just like it to be, um, I'd like it to be as uh, quick-footed as it can be when it comes out of the gate. So there's that. Um, so anyway, again, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure always is seeing you. A pleasure talking to you guys and hearing all the comments. Learned so much and the feedback, and the kind wishes and the donations and all the rest of it. Um, uh, enormously uh, grateful for all of those things. So um, until next time, um, we will see you right here on your very own Stratosphere Studio on Monday, Stratosphere Lounge on Thursday. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you.